Maybe for once we'll mark an episode as not explicit. Yeah, right? That'd be fun. Tuesday podcast episode 73 with your hosts Tyler Dryblatt, Sam Ginsburg, and Mike Boris featuring Beer Dan. Here is Tyler Dryblatt. All right. Thank you very much, Samuel. We have a really super duper special episode of the Bruce Day Tuesday podcast this week. Bruce Day Tuesday podcast has often almost gotten sweet guests to interview. We once almost got to interview uh, professional snuggler Lonnie from uh, Snuggle Factory. Snuggle House. Snuggle House, whatever. It's a place where they produce snuggles. (laughs) Uh, But they closed before we could do that. And then we almost interviewed another beer expert, but he realized this probably wasn't the type of thing he wanted to think he was He was a booze law expert. Yeah, that's the one. That was for Palcohol. Oh, right, yeah. Um, But we have... Hey, Beer Dan. Man, I should really actually know his actual name. Dan Fox. Dan Fox. We've done a couple of his articles on the show. He was an advertising man back in the day who ran the Coors Advertising account, and he has graciously decided to be on our show. So we're going to have him Skype in in a little bit, have the interview. But uh, first, we should probably interview uh, or yeah, interview our own beers. So what's everybody drinking? Hold on. Let me ask my beer. Beer, can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Okay, he's a little shy, so I'll just do it for him. This is Rogue Beard Beer. What was the style? We looked it up. Like a wild ale or something? American wild ale. Yeah, American wild ale. American wild ale. Kind of pours a kind of a cloudy Belgian looking type of thing, like kind of a, a darker yellow with, with some with some cloudiness to it. And uh, I'm looking forward to trying it. Word. So today's a uh, double rogue Tuesday because I've got Rogue's Voodoo Donut. It's a pretzel, raspberry, and chocolate ale. Uh, ale brewed with pretzels and natural flavors added. Uh, I'm so sorry. Comes in a bright pink bottle. Showed Tyler. I guess no one else can ever see that. But yeah, I don't know. It is very dark, and it's actually quite tasty. I was pleasantly surprised when I took a took a sip. So we'll see how that goes throughout the, the Beer Dan interview, and I'll let you know how I finish it up. All right. So I have Lagunitas Sucks. I don't know what type of beer this is. It just says brown sugar substitute. So I think they made this because one time they didn't brew enough brown sugar. But what is it? Okay, this is an American double slash imperial IPA is what the internet says. I guess that makes sense. It pours super pale, pretty thick head that stays around. Yeah, it's got a it's got a hoppy flavor. Did I mention 8%? They present. I think, if I'm not mistaken, this was at one point Boris's favorite beer, or some such. I'd say it's my favorite beer that I can regularly find. Really? Yeah, I like it a lot. Huge How fan. interesting. Huge fan. I think almost everything Lagunitas does is, for for their size and how easy it is to find Lagunitas. Especially uh, for being Californian, right. I think. Yeah. We all know nothing good comes out of there, so that's, that's really surprising. Well, I mean, you know, first impressions are pretty good, but uh, we'll, we'll see at the end. And we're, Dan Fox calling. He's coming in, guys. Get ready. All right. Oh my God, it works. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Dan, how's it going? Gentlemen, you're really sad. great to meet you. 
I'm Sam. You got Tyler and and this is Boris. Boris, hey, how are you? Good. How are you doing? Good. Fortunately, I had my daughter to school me on setting this up because uh, without that, I'd uh, we'd have not been able to pull this off. So how does this work? All right. So we're actually already recording. We've been kind of uh, just chatting for the last 15 minutes or so. Uh, pretty much about how we're we're terrified that you're gonna just drop all kinds of knowledge bombs on us and we're gonna look stupid. But really what it comes down to is, I think that um, on the micro-brew versus large-scale brew debate, you land in favor of the bigger beers and we land on the side of the smaller beers. And that's usually the slant we put in pretty much all of our content. So uh, we're thinking that a guy who knows things versus three guys who don't, it might be about an even matchup. Tell me a little bit about you guys. So, I, I mean, I'm the Antichrist for you, but tell, <laughs> tell me about what you guys are doing and, and what have you been doing. So we had a tradition in college. Tyler and I went to college together, and every week we would someone would buy a case of craft beer on a Tuesday. And we would take turns, and everyone would drink it and rate it, and that's kind of how we got into good beer. And now Tyler's in California, Boris and I are in Madison, and we kind of have just been keeping the spirit alive, talking about beer stuff and we just we all have our own beers so we have we'll each get a beer a week and kind of uh talk about how we feel about it and then we talk about beer news and we say some gross jokes and expletives and stuff like that sounds like my kind of show (laughs) so then do you take this and you know your videos or whatever put them together and then blast it it out on tuesday or what yeah well it's just the audio just the audio okay so this just this is just so we can see each other and you know i feel like it's a better vibe Makes sense. Yeah. So this elaborate log cabin, old Schlitzstein set, I've paid a fortune for it. <laughs> on a hole. Yeah, see, the, the listeners don't even get that joke because they can't see your... <laughs> I thought that was a green screen, actually. No. It looks so professional. That's, this is my house. I'm in my kitchen. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, so, I mean, if, if that's all right with you, it, it does go out for public consumption. The public Wonderful. does not consume it at a high rate, though. I guarantee you. <laughs> hey, whatever. You know, <laughs> Sam, when we talked on the phone, Sam, the other day, you start where you start and you go where you're going to go and people come do it on their own deal. If it's interesting, whatever. I was telling a friend of mine the other day that all of a sudden now on my blog, I've noticed however many, I keep, you know, the service that I use allows me to the uh, number of unique users and then the number of page views. And all of a sudden, my page views are 10 times the number of my of the unique. So people are apparently, I mean, I would deduce that they're looking at 10 pages every time a person comes on. Gotcha. My, my friend told me, we agreed, it probably means there's lawyers out there. My days are numbered. <laughs> <laughs> well, while you're still here out in the world with us and still, instead of incarcerated, we, should, we want to pick your brain about some stuff. So we, we read the About Me on your blog. If memory serves... You you used to work for Coors. No, I worked for I worked for an ad agency. Oh, okay. I had one other than I had one adult one job in my adult life, and it was working for Woodcone and Building in Chicago, and I worked there for thirty years. And oh, the wow. last fifteen of those thirty, I ran the Coors business. So, and by the time I was finished, we had at that time all of the Coors advertised brands. Is that so, how you became Beer Dan, or would you say you were Beer Dan before, and then that was really helpful when you got this? This gig with course. What young adult male doesn't have a predilection for beer? So. <laughs> I actually went, went to college, not all that far from you guys at uh, St. Norbert, 
outside of Green Bay. Drank a lot of beer there. <laughs> and we go to Madison. When everybody went to uh, Florida, we couldn't afford that, so we'd go to places like Madison and Oshkosh and drink. <laughs> that was your nice but, warm uh, spring break was coming exactly, down to Madison. Yeah. Exactly. There'd be four inches less snow in Madison than there were, were in Bay. But the Hay Beer, Dan, the name and all the rest of that didn't start until I started this blog. But the, the joy of working on beer and thinking about beer and whatever at a business level was developed over those 15 years at Foot Count on Coors. Those were for the big beers you guys tend not to like. Those were big years for those beers. Big, big years. Lots of fun. Big. If you're a marketing guy, they were you couldn't have any more. Well, it says here you came up with the the frost brewed slogan for Coors Light, which is just huge. One of the things I used to tell people when I was working in advertising, because advertising sort of at the agency level is sort of a team sport. You have to be very, very careful when you use the first person singular. And mm. so I'm very, I take that advice myself. But I actually did <laughs> create that nomenclature for the course process. And it came about um, on a brewery tour in Golden. And we took a lot of brewers, and you're always looking for, you know, this or that or trying to find something. And Pete Coors used to always, he was with us, and he, and he was conducting. And he said, and I had been through this before, he says, you, here, come on, you can taste the freshest Coors beer or Coors Light, whatever it was at the time, in the world. And he went to, I think they're called Enzinger fil filters, and they were laid off one after another after another, almost as far as you could see. And that's, they, they cold filtered through these filters as opposed to heat pasteurizing. Anyway, at the end of that process, because the beer's cold, it's passing through there, and they had what they literally call a pigtail, and it was a, a, like a pig's tail. It was a curly Q little thin pipe, you know, maybe a quarter of an inch, and it had a little twist thing on it. And you and he, he'd hold the glass up and twist the thing, and out came Coors beer that had just completed the last step of the of the brewing process, and you got to taste the freshest beer ever. The piping out of which that came had frost on, it. and at some point, when we were looking at uh, that, popped back into my mind when we were looking at ways to describe the uniqueness of the process that leads to Coors, different from Genuine Draft or Budweiser or whatever. Boom, boom. He made it sound so easy. Yeah. <laughs> Hindsight. So was it straight after the brewing process or straight after the fermentation? No, after it was beer. It wasn't, what do they, what do they call it? After fermentation, it's called wort. Is that right? It's, no, it's, that's the other way around. If you haven't fermented it yet, it's still wort. Okay. Well, then, th this is, as I say, this is beer. This beer, is okay. Beer with a, with a, I mean, it's the last, it's going from there to packaging. From that. Okay. From that pigtail in the system, and, it, and the, the beer isn't other than fermentation process or whatever, but in the brewing, it's not it's not uh, heat pasteurized, which is one of the things that makes Coors beers different. Gotcha. So you handled this Coors account for many many years, came up with this big slogan, but your website is please don't let Bud die. Is that just are you a, are you a Budweiser man now? Is that where your true loyalty lies? That's you you kind of mischaracterize at the start of this thing. I'm really not, from the standpoint of the, the beer itself, the, you know, the yellow liquid. I'm not a big beer guy or a craft brew guy or whatever. I mean, I like I like beer. I happened, I had a Coors Light with dinner tonight. Last night at a bar had two uh, uh, founders all day, which I like a great deal. In terms of the liquid product, I'm, I'm all over the map. The website and the name, or at least the URL on the website, 
it was, you know, that's my idea of my brand of humor and irony and what have you. <laughs> no, the notion that anyone that had anything to do with Coors would ever, ever say a kind word about Budweiser is anathema. I mean, <laughs> he said, what about, you know, oh my God, he's, you know, he's gone over to the dark side or whatever. So I thought that was part of, you know, the voice I wanted and part of, I wanted it to be sort of appealing or grab the attention of people in the, on the big beer side of things because my experience is with those kinds of products and with marketing those kinds of products. If you look early, or look at the, uh, I just put a new index of all the articles online, and one of the early ones from about this time last year had to do with the sorts of things that the big brewers, marketing people or marketing efforts have taught craft brewers. And oh, was this schooled on beer? Yeah. I, I was reading this like 20 minutes ago. And the truth of it is, the craft beer people, by and large, and certainly the best of them, have learned those lessons and, and, and employed those lessons far better than the vast majority of big beers doing right now, which is, if you read a lot of my articles, a lot of them are, you know, take issue with Heineken's marketing or Budweiser's marketing or Coors's marketing. I'm probably more critical of big beer overall than I am by far of the craft group, but it's marketing oriented primarily. That's what I know extent i know anything right makes sense and we, we've done some of your articles on the show one was let's see here budweiser changing direction i believe uh yeah. we did that yeah. a couple weeks ago on their they're changing their um their slogan to america's smoothest lager which you seem to be in favor of is that correct i am in favor of them i mean let me back up just a little bit one of the consistent threads across everything, I think I can say, everything I put on the blog or whatever, one of the strong and consistent threads is that good advertising and good marketing in beer, I would argue well beyond beer, but stay in beer, emanates from the advertiser understanding what the distinctiveness of their product is and communicating that in an interesting fashion. The problem I've found with Budweiser advertising over the past several years, during which for the most part it hasn't changed much, I mean we're talking now at least five years, probably more, is that the advertising did nothing to make any sort of claim that Budweiser was distinctive, that it was unique, that it was different from anything. They basically used an advertising strategy that said we're Budweiser and you know people drink us. <laughs> that's not good enough. Yeah. That's, not, that's not good enough for a craft beer either. You better tell people what's different, unique, and implicitly at least better about your product. And so with that as a background, the change, if it is a change, and the only thing I've seen so far on America's Smoothest Lager was quoted on that in that article. I haven't seen anything. I mean, I saw one uh, network billboard, and that's it on television. So I don't know for, I mean, I have to assume they're going to do something with that, but I've made mistakes about assuming Budweiser's just going to do this, that, or whatever. But to me, it was an indication that they have left behind the sort of, I don't know, sort of generic grab some buds line in favor of something that says, hey, wait a minute, Budweiser's special, and here's how it's special. I, if you, if you, I wish I, I suppose I could do it at the same time, but I'd probably lose you guys on this thing. One of the articles, I'm trying to remember what the title of the article was, had to do with how August Bush might have responded to craft beer 
and I created a few little ads, miniature ads, to, to add flavor to the article. And I did them for Budweiser, and August Bush would, would have been, he, he didn't like to use Budweiser in an attack mode. He thought it was a little beneath this brand, but he would use Bush beer in an attack mode. And I, and I used some. America's Smoothest Lager, you could argue, could be turned or could be used or counterpointed against craft beer in a way that might be provocative. Because a lot of craft brew is a little harsher. Because craft, because because the vast majority, I mean, I'm older than you guys put together, I think, but <laughs> the vast, even guys your age, you know, who goes out and ha- who goes out and drinks a case of craft beer? We knew back in the day, we knew pretty much what portion of our target audience on Coors Light drank a 12 at a city or a 24 at a and you and you can do that because because the alcohol levels lower the calories are lower and whatever and the taste profile is so dramatically below most craft beers that's a big difference and 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 it's why in my view i mean i don't I, macro beers big beer whatever is never going to go away but it will unless and until some great body of of the craft beer volume ends up being able to be satisfied with lower alcohol, less strongly flavored beers. Craft beer in total will have a limit beyond which, just a volume limit, it won't go above. In aggregate, it won't. It's it's another article on the blog in that regard. You do all day, you know, 4.7 ABV, the wonderful naming of a product called All Day, which back in my time would have been illegal, but those rules have changed. I mean, we could never have said Coors Light, drink it all day. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, you wouldn't have even brought it up to the lawyers. They'd have escorted you out of the... <laughs> but, but, that, but that's, in my view, that's where, if you look at craft beer in the aggregate, that's where the real growth will come from because that's where the volume is because people, guys, want to drink more than one. I mean, if you're watching a, a, a football game this afternoon or whatever, you want to have four or five. Well, yeah. You know, try having, you know, stouts and pork. I don't, personally, I don't care for that heavily flavored of beer, period. I mean, even as, as one or two, but even if you like them. If you get four or five of those sitting in your stomach, you're not going to feel so good. You're not going to feel good, and you're not, you know, it's, it's, it's going to, and the alcohol is going to affect you as well. So, you know, the, the, the lower, you know, Coors Light had a great deal of business and whatever, we used to talk about it with guys, and we used to show it in the advertising. Guys playing softball after a softball game, we couldn't show them drinking it before the softball game, even though we knew probably they are drinking it before the softball game because because it's it's so light. You know, you can have one between innings, and you can still hit the ball. So, do you think that the direction that Kraft should be going in is really session heavy? I think. I mean, two things. One, they've done wonders again in the aggregate, doing what they've been doing. But as things go down farther down the road, as the, every business, you know, no business keeps going straight up. As they start to plateau, th- that's where there will be additional volume to keep it going up. Lighter profile beers, session beers. Mm-hmm. We couldn't even use that term. A session that, beer? No. In a, you couldn't use it in advertising. You didn't even write it in memos because they could be, uh, you know, could be uh, obtained in a legal action or whatever. And session implies... Even One, though it probably more aptly applies to like Budweiser and Coors than things that are labeled session beers, even. Yes, you're right. Yeah, absolutely. But we just couldn't back then. We couldn't say it. Just like we couldn't say things like all day. But is that a was that because of legal changes or is that just a culture change? 
Um, it's a good question, and I don't know the answer. I think, I know for a fact, the regulators, TTB or whatever it is, uh, used to be BATF, the people who do the, who approve the labels. I know those people have changed their world because, and I did an article on that, which caused a fair amount of controversy at the time, because in my time on beer, the kinds of labels that are routinely seen in craft beer would have been rejected out of hand as being appealing to children. For example, we could not show a jack-o'-lantern, period. We could show pumpkin, we couldn't show a jack-o'-lantern. Jack-o'-lanterns appeal to kids, Halloween's kids holiday. You can't do that. You can't do it on labels, you can't do it on promotional materials, whatever. Those sorts of, and I, you know craft beer labels as well as I do. I mean, they're, it's Katie by the door. You know, you show any, pretty much anything you want. Almost, almost. Now, so somebody, some, some, I don't think there was ever any, I don't think there was ever any sort of published, okay, we're going to lighten things up, but that's exactly what happened. So I, I also, it sort of surprises me back in my time on the business, the competition was fierce, truly fierce, and oftentimes meet spirit. And so we, <laughs> if we could nail somebody else on doing something, you know, that violated a rule or whatever, we nailed them and vice versa, they'd nail us. Why Big Beer never went after the craft beers on this label stuff or didn't try and you know, have their way with their Washington influence, you could make an argument that, that that was a great gift to the craft brewers from, the, from Big Beer. And I think probably Big Beer didn't do it because it would have immediately been portrayed probably rightfully so as the big guys picking on the little guys. But as you saw in the graph that's been on the internet for the past two weeks, in aggregate, the little guys are bigger than Budweiser. So. Yeah, I think Sam uh, actually might have had some questions for you about that. Well, he's pretty much answered all of them now over the course of the conversation. I dug that article up because I thought we might end up talking about it um, from, from Slate.com, where it's really just showing, and I'm not sure exactly, I think the statistics might be a little slanted here, but uh, just year to year showing um, millions of barrels, and it's every year there's more craft than there was last year and every year there's less bud than there was last year last year and as of 2013 it looks like craft has barely overtaken bud and obviously that's an insane number of breweries compared to just the one but i think really the the more telling thing is the trend here it it does like you said it seems like both of these curves are leveling off a little bit but it's been consistent growth for craft and consistent decline for bud yeah, and, and 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 I would say that part of part of Budweiser's failing, in my view, which is why there's here's the irony of please don't let Bud die, is, I mean, the notion that Budweiser could actually die is is anathema. I mean, is anathema to people that have spent their lives in the beer business, wholesalers and whatever, and yet Budweiser can die, and it will die when it is seen as quite honestly as a lot of uh, microbeer people like to paint it as yellow fizz or whatever four-letter word you want to put after yellow. <laughs> that it's ordinary, that it's of low quality, that it's what uh, low-rent sort of people drink, that it's not distinctive, that it's not, there's nothing special about Budweiser. I would, I'd be willing to bet you that of the universe of craft beer aficionados, in which I'm sure you both include yourselves, that there isn't, there isn't a hundredth of a percent of those people 
who believe that Budweiser is a high-quality, distinctive beer. I would agree with that. They don't. And as a result, most of them are never going to drink Budweiser. However, there are there are ways in which I believe, and including American Smooth's lager leading, potentially leading into that, there are ways you can position Budweiser not as an alternative to every craft beer occasion, but as a legitimate choice for people who like craft beers, but on occasion prefer something lighter, got to fill in the blanks, that's, that's what good marketing strategy should do. But I think that's possible. In fact, I know that's possible. It, absolutely, it's possible. Yeah, I believe you, uh, you have a, a little bit of a more recent article, Could Budweiser Be Better Than Craft Beer?, in which you propose a way yeah. that Bud could, could advertise its, its distinctive taste. And uh, you're, you're looking to enjoy the snap. It says, oh, I, yeah, that was that was that was. You see my creativity manifest there on the page in front of me. I, I I enjoy doing that from time to time, putting that stuff down because I know they will never do what I tell them to do. <laughs> but I know people in the business, still in the business, who read these things and go and and exert their uh, points of view inside the business. That notion of snap, as I said in the deal in the in the article, would either of you describe? Any of the most recent ten craft beers that have crossed your lips as having snap? I wouldn't, but I'm also not sure that I would say that I would give Budweiser that that claim either. I guess it's been a little while since I had a Bud, but well, it's based on and and it may be a bit it may be a matter of degrees, but it's based on how quickly the taste experience vanishes. Most craft beer people will say, "Yeah, and that's why I hate it," but there are times, and again, when, for example, when you're drinking more for refreshment, if you will, pick a, not the best word, but if you're drinking more for refreshment, more because you're thirsty than because you want a, you know, a taste experience or sampling a taste experience, when the notion of snap is not a bad idea, may not be a bad idea. Don't, it doesn't make any difference. It's, we're, it's a tempest in a teapot because it will never see the light of the of day beyond your guys' podcast. I mean, I'm not sure that I think Snap and Smoothest Lager are that far from each other. Because they're both kind of... I guess Snap is more about ease of taste and Smoothness is about is about ease of mouthfeel. But they're both kind of about ease of drinking. Well, yeah, true. And what I like about both of them is that they are... They're comparative. They're explicitly comparative. Or explicitly comparative in the case of American Smoothest Lager. So when, you, when an advertiser posits such a thing and as i think i said in that article there's a truth to it there's a basis in truth for what you're saying you're not just making stuff out of whole cloth that's when advertising does what it should do which is cause not every person but some important number of those that you're advertising to to go huh i wonder about that that huh not oh my god let me try oh my god let me go buy six cases of budweiser i'm leaving my craft beer behind nobody nobody behaves that way in the market just to not what you're after is people to go huh yeah i guess that's right or oh yeah i do i do remember that when i you know that's different from uh, you know dogfish head or that's different from you know my founders yeah budweiser's different that way so we'll see as a company they've had a hard time with this whole area but. yeah and you know i'm because I agree with you, I think I think changing the slogan to something definitive or something that makes a definitive claim is a good idea. But I also heard that their newest line of advertising is just going to be essentially asking people who would you grab some buds with. That's the uh, 
if I'm not mistaken, that advertising, I think they, on the Budweiser website, they show, I think, four, four commercials around this, uh, the holiday case promotion. And, the, and only, last time I looked, only one of the commercials was active and the others are yet to come or whatever. And all of those are just exactly what you described. Okay. Who's, which, I, and I agree completely with you. Yeah, so what? There's nothing, you know, so what? That, you know, at the, at, people don't listen to every word in advertising. So when you get down to the bottom and you watch one of those commercials, you're what have you seen? You've seen, seen a bunch of people drinking Budweiser. So what? I hate Budweiser. I drink craft beer. So, you know, what have you told me about the beer? Actually, the idea of the wooden crate is at least, I mean, it's not a beer idea, but at least it's a, a unique idea. And bury that in that. I'm still not sure whether you can actually go buy one of those crates or if you have to, like, you know, be one of, you know, 300 people in the world who somehow come across one or find one. I don't know what the deal with a crate is. I haven't even heard about it. What do you know? Oh, just go on the Budweiser website. It's, uh, what do they call it? Holiday, holiday, uh, holiday crate or holiday whatever. It's, it's not, and then go to the ad section and you'll see. And as I say, it's, it's, it's quickly watch the commercials, just a bunch of people talking about Budweiser. But see, there's a, a crate, a wooden Budweiser crate. Oh. But that, it looks, I just pulled it up, it looks like it's just a case and it happens to be made out of wood instead of cardboard. What is the appeal of that? I was about well, to say, I would totally get that. Well, okay, maybe maybe they're proving their point now. <laughs> well, see, it doesn't, if we get 50% of the craft drinkers with that, that's not bad. <laughs> well, the thing is, Budweiser has used, has, I mean, all of the big groups offered the wood case. I mean, just the empty wood cases you buy them at the brewery stores or sometimes online or whatever is just, you know, a piece of Americana or Americana brewery, brewery Anna or however you say that. Um, but I think, if I understand what they've got here, they are selling it with eight, I think it's 18, but I could be wrong. Let's just say it is 18 bottles of Budweiser and either like four or six glasses. And the Bottles of Budweiser feature, I think, one of six different historical labels, old labels. So, you know, so it's it's the kind of thing you could sell at Christmas time, whatever, for people to give, you know, so it's more of a gift-giving item or, or whatever. So than a little story. bit of novelty in it. There's novelty in it, and it costs you four, I mean, they're not going to sell that to you for 14 bucks. Right. If you look on the shelf now, actually, here's another, here's a good example. Coors brand I obviously have some heart for in the banquet beer. You've probably seen us selling it in that stubby bottle. Yeah. yeah. I picked up a six pack because I was having, I was going hunting with a couple of guys who still work on them in the business and and they work on course so I wanted to, we're going to celebrate after we shot birds or whatever. And uh, so I pulled out the six pack, had chilled or whatever and we're sharing it. <laughs> At which point I realized all of the bottles in that six pack had a different Coors historic label on it. I thought, well, that's cool, and many of which I see them. That's cool, but I didn't know that when I bought it. It's like, I just want to tell people this. Maybe they, you know, <laughs> interesting enough to pick up a six. <laughs> I don't know. I think a lot of advertising has moved out of the realm of just tell as much as you can about your product and into like, like Old Spice does these ridiculous, funny commercials that you would like share on Facebook or something. And it's almost more about just can we say the name Old Spice 20 times and make you laugh than it is like this is why our shampoo is better 
Well, it's about yours. it's about sticking in your mind rather than telling right. you that their product is superior. And I feel like Budweiser's entire history is like you know they have the Super Bowl commercials with the Clydesdales or like they go with those sort of themes that also have nothing to do with the beer. But it's almost like expected at this point. If you if I don't mean to suggest I have every answer, although I do control my own little universe. So <laughs> if you go back in the articles, there's and this one got a lot of play way back again almost a year ago. I wrote an article on the strategy Budweiser rode to the top, and this, you know, when when Budweiser was on top of the world, and that that happened between about 19, roughly 1960 to 19, I think 1988, they started to drop, or 90, 90, I think 90, 90, whatever it was. But they wrote a strategy, a single strategy to the top, and that strategy was not specifically about the beer, meaning the liquid beer, but it was. A strategy based entirely on being number one and if you're a beer drinker running with that herd and the song even back in the day when they used just musical jingles and whatever but that that is consistent all the way ocean of king of beers is born of you're gonna be drinking the number one you're number one and you're gonna be drinking the number one beer. everybody's gonna love you you're gonna write you're gonna be part of the pack you're gonna be part of the herd you never have to worry about being uh, socially rejected because of your beer. He's going to reject you for drinking Budweiser, blah, 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 blah. That's what they rode to the top. And when I would argue that anyone who does that in any category, sooner or later, somebody's going to start taking your business. And that happened to Budweiser. And for the longest time, I would make the argument, even almost up until right now, they've not responded to the fact that they're losing volume. People are actively choosing not to drink Budweiser in favor of drinking something else. They have not addressed that reality in their advertising, whether it's by some of the things that the Snap Notion or, or even America's Smoothest Lager, which is only two weeks old or three weeks old. Until now, they have not, they, they, they literally, you know, it's the line that says, uh, you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting different results. Right. They're, once they started down, they kept playing the same thing over and over and over again, and they kept going down and down and down and down and down. So is, do you think Smoothest Lager is going to be a huge turning point, or are they just dipping their toe in the water and seeing if anything changes? Good question. I don't know. I don't know. I, I Remember, I didn't work. I, I competed with Anheuser-Busch, but I didn't. I was not inside Anheuser-Busch, and now they're owned by new people anyway. So it's hard to predict. I, you know, For the things I believe in about advertising, I think it's an encouraging development. But I don't know. I don't know if they'll you know, go hard in that direction or softly in that direction. To me, the, the chart you show or the, the slate thing shows with the decline begs for something other than half-hearted measures. So if I were advising them, I would tell them no half-hearted measures. Go for it. And you don't have to be mean in doing that. I, I get in trouble with the craft beer guys on Twitter or sometimes elsewhere. Reddit, they hate me. <laughs> <laughs> That's where we found you. They hate me. God, they hate me. I don't, they found ways that, if, you know, if I... If I posted free craft beer at my house for a month, they find ways to bury that. You know, they downvoted some. I don't even know how to <laughs> So I go out of existence before I even raise my head. But whatever. Whatever. I forget the point. I have one, one more question, maybe. So it seems like there's like two industries, kind of the macro lager industry and the craft beer industry. And we're kind of concluding that the macro lager industry is losing business to the craft beer industry. But the craft beer industry, I think, beyond packaging and bottles, doesn't really advertise. 
Like I've never seen a commercial for Founders or Rogue or you know anything else. Maybe a billboard ad near their brewery or something. But I think by and large, you're not going to see like a Super Bowl commercial for anything other than Budweiser or Coors. So do you think the craft beer industry should start advertising or is there something Bud can do to address the fact that, you know, that industry doesn't advertise and that they're still losing all their money to it? Well, first off, again, my little universal somewhere in, a, in my thing that, that talks about, there's a, a Line and Kugel's ad, a um, Line and Kugel's, Sam Adams, and the third one is that what I think you or I would agree, I, I know we probably not agree that these are necessarily microbeers or, or craft beers, but the third one, and I can't remember which brewery it is, is a legitimate craft beer, and they're got television ads for all three of them, and I'm, I compared and contrasted them because all three of them were basically pursuing exactly the same strategy, same advertising strategy. And what strategy was that? It was the combination of we're different because... We care more for our beer. We come from a particular place, and our people really enjoy making this beer. I have I have seen that out of Sam Adams, although Sam Adams and Leinenkugel, the the two that you remembered, are I think both breweries we've blasted previously on this show for not being craft enough. I know, but if it, it depends on where you're definite, and, and I wish I could honestly, I wish I could think of the of the third competitor. I wanted to say it was New Belgium, but it isn't. I just can't remember, but. However you set your definition of craft beers, okay, let's take those guys out of it. Take, take Sam and, and uh, Lenny Kugels out of it. Take Blue Moon out of it. And you name for me the top five craft brewers. And I will promise you that the goal of every single one of those top five is to be as big, they may not say it, and as financially successful as Sam has. Guaranteed. And, I, and they want it. And the people who have their money in those breweries want exactly that. They don't want to give up anything to get there, and I, I applaud them if they manage to do that. They don't want to give up anything in the, in, in the area of quality and you know care for the beer and all the rest. They don't want to give any of that up. But in business, if you sell the same amount every year at the same price, meaning the same total, roughly, amount of money, you're going to lose. Somebody's going to go past you, and you're going to get smaller, and he's going to get bigger. The route to success, like it or hate it, is getting bigger. Founders is a bigger deal than Shorts. Shorts would love to be, I mean, I'm, I'm in Michigan, so that's why I quote those guys. Would love to be as big, it aims to be as big as Founders. Founders, founders and, and Founders and Bells both aim to be much bigger than they are right now. Otherwise, they wouldn't be building stuff the way they are. That's what success looks like. More money, more resources, more, you know, boom, that's, that's how it works. So... You know, I'm not one of these guys that goes big is the enemy of, of greatness. Big may be the enemy of small, but it's not the enemy of greatness. I, I do just think that, I mean, you were saying you'd love to see them be able, some brewers be able to get big while maintaining quality. I'm just not sure that that's possible. And that makes me a little bit worried sometimes that, that the little guys that are keeping their products great are going to, I mean, like you said, if, if you're not moving forward, you're you're going to lose. I'm, I'm worried that some of my favorite breweries are going to lose. Well, I think what you may see happening in that area is breweries coming together to get bigger, where you have two small guys, both with the same passion, both with, you know, that's a way to get bigger. But the, the dynamic, it just is what it is. It's not a beer dynamic. It's sort of an economic reality. 
I mean, and, and if you, it's interesting because if you look just uh, anecdotally, but if you know whether it's Reddit or, or Twitter or whatever, people on the West Coast want to get their hands on you know Founders Centennial, or they want to get their hands on you know the Bell's Planet series, or the demand is out there. And and if if you don't satisfy that demand, you're you're not achieving. At some point, does it risk you know what you say? That maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I don't know. I know for I know for sure that you'll giggle at this or whatever, I think, but that as Coors went from a, whatever it was originally, six-state operation to now a 50-state operation over a period of many years, that the quality of that beer did not go down at all. The ingredients were as selectively procured, the water was treated the same way, and the taste didn't suffer. You may argue there wasn't enough there to begin with. Regardless, they were able to get it to get big, good and big, without sacrificing the quality of the liquid in the in the packages as a consequence. So I think it can be done. I mean, if I was if I was running a craft brewery, I certainly would not want to give up on the impression that I was a little guy. That's why Sam Adams likes to position itself as the which is kind of ridiculous. <laughs> it's a ridiculous relative to craft beer. It's not ridiculous relative to Anheuser Busch or Coors or Miller or whatever. Right, and that's. That's what got them. That's what got them to where they are. I mean, they were the they were many people's entree to what a non-big beer was, and from there they went. Many of them went on to far more local and you know variegated beers. It's a craft gateway. <laughs> yeah, I think you're certainly right about that. Does anybody else have any questions for for our friend Hey Beer Dan? I think I'm tapped out. You nope. just want to go to the bar. Well, I have to say, unlike the people on Reddit, we have really enjoyed having you here. I think uh, knowing one's enemy has has never been so much fun. So thank you. <laughs> well, ben, please, I mean, whatever, paint me every any way you want. I have no enemy of craft beer. I'd like to see big beer marketed a lot more effectively than it is. And I've been crystal clear in saying I think advertising or no advertising, the craft beers, by and large, and certainly the best of them have marketed themselves and their brands brilliantly. Brilliant. God bless them. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you very, very much for, for lending us your time and uh, your insights. It's been probably our most interesting show so far. Yep, definitely. You're kind, yeah. You're kind of appreciate When I start my podcast, I'll have you guys. Oh, <laughs> sounds thank good. Thank you. Please thank do. Thank you. Well, have, right. a, have a wonderful night. Take care. You too. Good holidays. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Man, that was a great interview. Dude, that guy was super duper nice. I was really scared that he was going to clown us all, but he was just the nicest dude in the world. I got the distinct impression that he could have clowned us. I was very <laughs> careful not to poke the bear. <laughs> yeah, but, oh man, like, everything he said was interesting and relevant, and and we didn't come off looking too foolish, I think. So, uh, let's just end this episode. Let's yeah. just rate these beers let's, and get out of here. Let's quit while we're ahead. Yeah. I liked the interview because it was... It was good to hear a perspective of someone who actually likes, like, loggers, macro loggers, is, like, yeah. really into them and, like, distinguishes between them because I kind of consider them all the same thing. Yeah. And it sounded like he had opinions on Coors and Bud. And it, it actually makes me want to get Bud, Coors, Miller, and, and do, like, and do some taste testing. I don't know if that would actually work it's like, or if that makes good content. <laughs> we're all just, yeah. like, really not into that genre, I think. Yeah. Which, I don't know, there are certain genres of music where you could send me the best type of it ever recorded and i'd still be the like the best and worst yodeling to me is just still yodeling <laughs> exactly but to yeah. some people that are really into that that's like i don't know that's the best yodeler ever done heard right 
And so the idea that like maybe large macro bloggers aren't actually low in quality, it's just a quality that we can't detect. Well, no, no, I'm not going to go that far. Uh, <laughs> let's let's rate the beers and be done here. Sure. So I had Rogue Beard Beer, American Wild Ale, 5.6%, and it came it came through a lot like kind of a kind of a lighter Belgian. I mean, the whole deal with this beer is that it was the yeast came from the brewer's beard, and while that may be true, it didn't really impart any beard flavor. I wasn't really expecting that. That's probably a good thing. Yeah. yeah, I don't I don't know really what the selling point is there. If this was just called Rogue Golden Ale, I would have been like, "This is an all right golden ale," and that that's really what it amounts to. It can it can say it's a it's a wild ale because of I assume because of the odd ingredient is how it gets that classification. But it's it's really just kind of a, a lighter golden ale, and it's fine. But golden ales kind of suck, and this <laughs> is an all right golden ale. I'm gonna give it a probably three eight. It's pretty drinkable. It had a little bit of that corn taste that I I kind of. I don't know. I don't. Doesn't sit well with me. Uh, an odd bit of an astringency to it too. Now that I'm thinking about it, but it was fine. Definitely wouldn't complain about seeing it, but it's not really for me. Uh, I would tell anybody who really, really the the reason to buy this is for the novelty. So if you're looking for a great gold nail, I wouldn't get this. If you're looking for Rogue's best tribute, I wouldn't drink this. If you're looking for a beer that you can tell people you drank a beer where the yeast came from a dude's beard. I'd say this is probably a good pick. This would be my number one pick for that genre. <laughs> all right. I'm going to go next, if that's all right with you, Boris. That's fine. So I had Lagunitas Sucks, Imperial IPA or American Double IPA. 8% alcohol. It was fine. It didn't have any of that, you know, resinous aftertaste that I really don't like in my IPAs. And it wasn't especially bitter, uh, which was also nice. But, you know, I didn't think the hop flavors were all that interesting or original. It was like, yeah, that's hops. It's nice that it's not super bitter. It's, you know, a little floral, a little citrusy, but nothing too spectacular. Very drinkable. Didn't taste like booze. So 6.6 is what I'll give it. It was a fine IPA, but nothing about it super duper stood out. Who should I recommend it to? I'll recommend this to Boris. Hey. This is the type of IPA that might be Boris's favorite beer for a while. That's a solid recommendation. I'll have to, I'll have to try that sometime. I mean, I have no like real solid complaints about this beer. It just didn't blow me out of the water. It was, it was fine. Six point six. That's fair. So I had speaking of novelty rogue beers, uh, Voodoo uh, Donut, Pretzel, Raspberry, and Chocolate Ale. And like I said at the beginning, I was pleasantly surprised. I was pretty sure this was going to be a very disgusting. Uh, 22 ounces of beer, whatever this is, one pint and 9.4 fluid ounces of beer. But it was it was pretty good. Uh, oh, it's like five percent, I think, 5.4 percent ABV. So nothing too special in that regard. But it's mostly in the nose. You can really smell it when you start to when you start to take a sip, and then if you if you stop smelling, it just kind of tastes like a regular malty ale, which is I think good because if you had a really strong assault of raspberry and chocolate. Uh, I don't think it would be nearly as good. It would just be kind of gross. Uh, so it's pretty It's pretty well done subtle. I'll give it an 8, actually, because mostly the surprise factor of I thought this would suck and it's way better than I thought it would be. Definitely, if you're into like novelty beers, you want to try something new, I recommend this to you. I'd recommend it to you if you like cool bottles, because this bottle is pretty awesome. It's bright pink and has some cool designs and stuff. I'm very surprised to hear that, because I also thought that was going to be a terrible beer. But uh, We had a different Rogue Voodoo Donut on the show 
I think Tavita had it, and she she nuked it from orbit. She was really displeased. Right. Yeah. Well, um, anybody know what they're drinking next week? Everyone but you, buddy. Oh, no. So I have Cisco Brewers of Nantucket Indie Pale Ale. I just, as I'm reading it, in this moment realized it didn't say India Pale Ale. I really <laughs> thought that said Indie India, but it's Indie Pale Ale. For all I know, that could be a typo. I assume it's an IPA, but I could be wrong. I think it's just a pale ale. Uh, I'm guessing it's some sort of alternative pale ale. No, it, yeah. says, it says American IPA on it. It says, fully multi-body, balanced by a fruity apricot grapefruit nose. So that could actually be really cool. Got some summit hops yeah. in there. I, I could get behind this if it's done right. I'm looking forward to it, 6.5. I kind of feel like I only ever bring on beers that I think are weird. So I thought, hey, what if I brought on a beer that I thought I might like instead of that? What a concept. Yeah. That's actually a fairly common brew in Boston. Oh, really? Yeah. I've never heard of this before. I mean, it's not like it's not like Sam Adams or Founders or anything, but like Based in you can find it in a couple couple places. I've definitely seen the bottle before. I'm not actually sure that I've had it, though. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, that bottle just looks how, super How familiar. is it? Uh, I'm not actually sure if it's good. So I was just I was doing my favorite my favorite dad joke, which is that I would tell him that I've never had something and he asked me how it is. That that and that and Mitch will ask me the score of a game and I'll tell him it's tied or I'll say, you know, it's ten to ten and then he'll say who's winning. God damn it, Mitch. Oh Mitch. Classic. Anyway, what are you drinking, Boris? So I found Black Husky Brewings Harold Yodler Koenig Ale. I'm gonna try and Assume that's maybe close to how you pronounce it. Yeah, you um, pretty good. Yeah, so it's a it's a bomber. This one's seven point one percent. I pretty much bought it because it has this adorable husky in a hat on the bottle. Confirmed. Confirmed adorable, and I can't. I'm. I think that's a name. Uh, Yodeler Koning Ale. It says Harold above it, but it might actually be the name of the husky because so, it's kind of so like labeling Yodler, the caption. Yodeler Koning would mean uh, king of the yodlers. <laughs> oh man, maybe that's it. I have King of the Yodelers. It, it, is, it is wearing a little bit of what I might describe as a Yodeler's cap. And there's like a mountain in the background, which is what you yodel from. So Yeah. Huh. It's a pretty yodel heavy episode. It <laughs> is. <laughs> Two yodels in one episode. <laughs> yeah, so I'll do some research and figure out if the dog's name is Harold or if the beer is called Harold Yodeler Koenig Ale. And get back to you next week when I drink it. Alright. I don't know what I'm drinking. Wah, wah. But um Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to what I'm going to assume will be our best episode. <laughs> Join us next week for more porn titles and fart jokes. <laughs> thank you. A big, big, big thank you uh, to Habier Dan. Seriously, check that guy's stuff out uh, if you want an interesting view into how some of the other people think. Don't let the best keep you down. Tune in next week. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye. parents have always wanted to they've a couple times asked about this because i've told them that i do that but they've never i've never sent them one because because you know. usually we just say like tits every 15 seconds right i don't need my my parents to just listen to me make a bunch of queef jokes so <laughs>